incomprehensible. And when I read those words uh, professing my faith along with you, with your faith, I said to myself, then what am I preaching for? <laughs> because it really is hard to wrap our minds, our hearts, our thoughts around our God. Incomprehensible. On our own by our power, by our intellect, versus by the work of the Holy Spirit that, again, we celebrated, we received last week. Remember talking about the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit who guides us and opens our eyes, takes those scales off of our eyes, and, and removes the hardness of our heart that we might be able to understand, believe, and respond. I think maybe you can even tell uh, in our worship, but I believe most of us, we love music. It's why in Lutheran worship, hymnody and songs of praise and all, they are very much an integral and a vital part of our worship. Music often does what you know, spoken words have difficulty in adequately conveying things. Plato once said this, music gives wings to the mind, flight to the imagination, and life to everything. The music that we often sing, and I'm not just now referring to in worship, but the music we sing often refer, reveals what is important to us, uh, what moves us, and what we long for. Well, let me ask you a question now that we're talking about music. What's the first song that's recorded in the Bible? I'll give you a clue. It actually has the same theme and topic as does the very last song that's recorded in the Bible in the book of Revelation. It is a song of praise of the holiness of God. The first song that is recorded is in Exodus 15, and after God had, you know, through the ten plagues and, and then the parting of the Red Sea, led his people, the Israelites, over a million of them, out of their bondage in Egypt, they stopped and they sang this song of praise, which is wonderfully summarized in this one verse, Lord, who like you... Who is like you among gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? See, even Moses and the people then, whether they had that word or not, maybe to some extent were wrestling with the incomprehensibleness of God, the difficulty in being able to define and, and somehow grab, grab and put around their minds uh, an understanding of who their God is. And not only then do we have that, but I mentioned the last song in the Bible, and God gave 90-year-old, or about that age, John the Apostle, a glimpse into that final day of judgment. 
where there in the heavens were those who had died in that final tribulation, standing strong in the faith, and then when that judgment is happening, we hear them sing this. Now I've got to find it. They sang to the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God. The Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? Because you alone are holy, all the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. Revelation 15, the same theme of both songs, the holiness of God. And between Exodus 15 and Revelations, over and over again, we have passages that talk about the holiness of God. It is the primary prefix that is used over and over again to describe the very nature of our God, a holy God. Indeed, holy is our God. And here we have in the scriptures Isaiah and John who were permitted to literally see into the throne room of God and listen to what was said about him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. By the way, that's the only thing the only character of God that is spoken of and repeated in such a way. Well, this morning we are celebrating, we are remembering that we have and we believe and confess in a triune God. And I want us this morning to explore the mysterious and the awesome nature of our God. And as we do so, I have this sense if we are truly open to what we will be hearing and to what God is saying, not me, we very well may tremble. Maybe we'll be a little bit like Job who said this, I had heard rumors about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I take back my words and I repent in dust and ashes. Maybe we're going to understand a little bit about why Moses, when God revealed himself in the burning bush, took off his shoes because he was standing on holy ground before this holy and righteous God. If we look intently into the truth about God, Maybe we'll join Isaiah, a man of God who studied and thought about and proclaimed God's holiness for years before he had a personal encounter. And when that happened, he was left saying this, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so in this day when God is the topic of stand-up comedians and God is often the source of, you know, laughter and ridicule, 
it's appropriate for us to ask, what does it mean to say that God is holy? Well, there are kind of uh, two basic uh, definitions that I want to look at, and yet they go hand in hand. And the first is that holy is to be distinct, separate, unique. Basic meaning of the Bible is to be separate. In short, that he is like none other, in that he is a cut above. Nothing else is there with him. He stands alone. He is the only like that. And so when we say God is holy, we're not talking about one of many characteristics of God. We are talking about the very heart, the very nature, the very core of who and what our God is. Holy. There is none who is like him. He is unique. He is incomparable. He is matchless. In Isaiah 40, God, the Holy One, issues a challenge. Who will you compare me to? Or who is my equal? And we must answer, there is no comparison. You see, God is not just a, a supersized you and me. <laughs> as simple and nice as that might be to try to put some kind of image or picture in our mind, but it's nowhere near true. He is separate. He is in a class by himself. He is subject to none. He answers to no one. This is who our holy God is. And David he found strength by considering God's holiness. Psalm 86. Lord, there is no one like you among the gods, and there are no works like yours. All the nations you have made will come and bow down before you and will honor your name, for you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. The scriptures reveal that he, he is unlike any, anyone or anything that we can come up with. He is above and beyond us, so different that no one can stand before him. And the prophet Habakkuk, he discovered this. And with that, he described his reaction this way. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. You see, the prophet there, he, he was shattered. He was overwhelmed as he was there looking into the holiness of God. And he knew that he could not stand there. And we see God as he is. And then it freezes us where we are when we also see ourselves for who we really are. He's holy. We're not. You and I, we live in a day when people just want God to be approachable by anyone and for God to accept all regardless of how they live, regardless of what they have done, regardless of what they do, regardless of what they believe. That is our world. 
But it's a dangerous thing to forget that God is holy. Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. He is just. There must be a judgment and a punishment for our unholiness, our sin. And in truth, God will not fit into our boxes. He will not, you know, align to our expectations. He cannot be defined in finite minds. It's part of what it means to say that God is holy. And then to be holy is to be absolutely pure. Holiness is being set apart from anything impure in order to be completely given over to what God says is pure. And when you apply this meaning to God, His holiness points you to what 1 John 1.5 says, there is absolutely no darkness at all in Him. And Jesus tells us that God is not to be tempted by evil, and He Himself tempts no one. Habakkuk again adds that God's eyes are too pure to look on evil and that he cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And so in short, God is perfect, he is without sin, he is flawless, he is spotless. Trembling. Maybe it's why we don't spend a lot of time thinking about, talking about, maybe reading about and really absorbing this very character, heart of God. Because when we realize this about Him, we can tremble in our shoes. With these concepts of purpose and purity of God established, maybe now we need to ask, how does that relate to us? The response of His holiness against sin is unmistakable. It raises the final point, only holy people can see God. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Unholy people will never lay eyes on Him. The prophet Isaiah says, Your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God, and your sins have made Him hide His face from you so that He does not listen. So what hope do we have? Because fundamentally, by nature and by choice, we are sinners. Psalm 32, 24. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not set his mind on what is false, and who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord, the righteousness from God of His salvation. But our hands aren't clean. And uh, our minds and our hearts aren't pure. 
And sometimes we truly give ourselves, maybe it's more than sometimes, oftentimes we give ourselves over to our own ideas and to things that we know are based on lies. With that in mind, we will never climb the holy mountain of where God dwells. First Peter, our reading, says it quite bluntly. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. That makes you pause, doesn't it? Because not only do we remember our thoughts, words, and deeds of past, but of present. We are anything but. Our minds tend to justify sin. Our days are filled with sin. We are a living contradiction to God's holy character. But you know there's something more dangerous and true? He sees that, and he knows that about us. Psalm 90. You have set our unjust ways before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. And then Hebrews 4.13. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So as we gather, we have to, whether we want to or not, admit we're caught red-handed, we're busted. We've been found out. He knows everything that we have done or failed to do, everything we have thought, everything we have said. Our sin not only makes us totally incompatible with a holy triune God, it makes us guilty of treason. We have broken his law. We have defied his commandments. We have fallen short of his glory. So with Eliphaz in Job 4, we ask, can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? How can a holy God who must judge sin keep his integrity while pronouncing guilty sinners not guilty. Well, again, I turn to Peter's writing in 1 Peter chapter 3, where he answers that for us. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring to you you to God, after being put to death in the flesh, but made alive. 
Now, isn't that awesome? That what his holiness demanded, his grace provided in Jesus Christ. Holy God, holy people. There's nothing you and I can do on our own to make ourselves holy, pure, right, righteous, acceptable. Nothing. And yet as a loving God and Father, He does not give up on us. He comes to us in the flesh. He comes and he takes the punishment of our sin upon himself on the cross. And he conquered our sin, and he conquered Satan, and he conquered death. And he covers us in the righteousness of himself, of Christ. Our holy God makes us holy people. And one more. I've had to ask myself then, so what evidence is there in my life that this holy God is dwelling in me? That he has taken control of my life? Do our lives, do our choices, do our habits, do our words, do our actions show that we are in the language of 1 Peter 2.9, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It is what he has called us to. It is what he has made us. May we be the holy people of God who serve a holy, loving God. Amen. Now